Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We're not the only ones back. Spurs are too because they beat Newcastle 4-1. to And I had to remember that Newcastle actually scored a goal in this match. But we're all so back, baby. Before we get into it, I want to remind everyone to leave us five stars on iTunes or Spotify. And also follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that's out of the way. He's uh, let me introduce my co-host. He's been swinging back and forth after a week of mixed results. So Ben, tell us: is the Benjamin pro or anti-dubbed uh, anime? <laughs> These always take such a weird turn. I'm never prepared for what nonsense you're going to ask me. Um, but to your question, having seen the new Miyazaki film in both dub and sub, I am going to say I'm pro dub. Robert Pattinson uh, gives uh, the performance of a career as a weird little bird. <laughs> it's, uh, yes, Robert Pattinson's performance as Danny DeVito as a bird is truly, <laughs> uh, genuinely excellent, actually. <laughs> Lest you think I'm just joking. It's it's very good. Uh, next up, um, we're all curious if he's found the right combinations of, let's say, herbal treatments to forget about the West Ham game. It's Brian Ashlock. Brian, have you? Uh, no, no. Um, I just uh, solved that problem by not watching that game, seeing what the score was, and then saying, you know what? I'm not going to watch that. Just got just back to the slopes? Yep, yep. Just had to get back out there. I mean, you can't let a fall on one run really deter your whole weekend. <laughs> Spoken like a true South Floridian. Um yeah, we're, we're only going to talk about the West Ham game in relation to the Newcastle game, because frankly, the Newcastle game was a lot more fun to watch. Uh, looking at that game, uh, which was super fucking fun, uh, and obviously Spurs are going to win the league again, but uh, I think these two games do offer an interesting contrast. And Ben, I'll start with you. What is the difference between what happened in the game against West Ham and what happened in the game against Newcastle? Yeah, I mean, well, I think the first thing you have to talk about, as we do every week, is another week of big lineup calls from Big Ange. Uh, you know, in West Ham, we started the midfield of Hoiberg and Lo Celso uh, with Basuma, that I think played really well against Aston Villa the week before. And instead, or no, that wasn't, that was Man City the week before. I lied. Uh, and, you know, they both got yanked after kind of a, a middling performance against West Ham. And he moved Kulishevsky back to the 10. He brought Saar back in from injury. And then he shook things up uh, in the front and took Sun, who has been, you know, a fantastic striker this season, stuck him back on the wing, brought back the underperforming Richarlison after his surgery. And everything worked magically perfectly. I mean, that was really it. Like, that is, it's hard to look past that as the huge difference. Every, everything he did worked. 
it's really strange because I was I was talking to my dad about the way Ange like just seems to have very little mercy in terms of like, oh, this lineup didn't work. I'm going to totally shake it up. And as I was telling him about it, I realized I'm making him sound like a crazy person who like just doesn't have any faith in his players or whatever. And it doesn't feel like that. But it's it's really weird because these changes feel very considered, but he isn't giving at least some of his players very much rope. Right, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's in the unfortunate position of having to be forced into a lot of these changes and and not having all that many options. But I mean, you know, he is demanding of a certain style and a certain way of playing. And like that's been his consistent messaging. And I think, you know, when you have um, pieces of the team or, or parts of the team that aren't able to execute that style, he's not going to be like, you know, we have with managers in the past where we feel like we're just beating our head against a wall. And so, you know, to, to bring Sar back from injury, um, maybe not as much of a no brainer considering how much or how well Los Celso has been playing, but like it, it, he facilitates the team playing the way they want to play. So in furtherance of his vision, yeah, it, it make, it makes sense. And, and no, he's not giving people rope if they're not doing his thing. I think the, the thing about it is it's not that he's not giving them rope. He is quick to make those changes, but Everybody always has a way back. And I think that's really crucial. Like, we've seen Hoybjerg in and out of this team all season. Richarlison started the season as our striker and then left that position and then left the team entirely. And then now is right back up top, you know. He is quick to make changes, but he is he is not throwing a lot of guys in the doghouse and saying there well, is no room. there's back. one guy. Yeah, there is one very, very pointed guy in the doghouse. Um and everybody else is, you know, has the opportunity to prove that they belong back in this team or prove that they don't belong in this team and then somebody else gets a shot. Um, and I think that has really been a huge key. You know, obviously, in the last few weeks, it hasn't always worked out. We've gotten one point out of, you know, 15. But uh, it was always, always available. And there were always considered changes that, you know, even if they didn't work in terms of the result, they largely worked in like upticks in performance and fixed the problems of the previous game and things like that. Um, And this was finally like a formula that just plain out worked. I thought one of the biggest changes that uh, we saw in this match was reintroducing SAR into the midfield. Now, obviously this is, largely a product of injury and when he was healthy. Um, so it's not like, you know, he was out of the team for tactical reasons, but what made, what makes, how does Sar transform the way we play? I mean, I mean, I guess that's my question because I thought we looked a lot more fluid with him in our midfield than we've looked in previous weeks. And we haven't looked bad in previous weeks, but I thought he really knitted things together in a way that we've been missing. And I don't think I realized how much I was missing it until I saw it. Well, I think one of the primary things he does, and you kind of see this uh, heat map floating around on Twitter um, uh, over the last few weeks, but he his starting position when we're in possession is much deeper than some of the other guys that we have had play that right-sided midfield role. And what that does then is 
makes Pedro Poro's starting position when we're in possession much higher up the pitch. And that allows him to get forward, do all the things that he did great in this game. So I think I think one of the things is SARS, you know, positioning just in play. And Pasakagu's talked about how he he likes to that guy likes to sit deeper. He likes to be facing the play. And so uh, I think that has helped him. And the other thing is I just think he's his athleticism is is just a huge contribution to the way we want to play, especially when you lose, you know, probably one of the best athletes on the team in Van de Ven. Um, you need somebody out there that's running around, that's covering, that's getting back and making tackles, that's jumping passing lanes. And, you know, none of the other guys that we have for that position really do that as well or as effectively as he does. Yeah, I think that's all absolutely true. I think the other thing is, is because of his athleticism, because he covers ground just so comfortably, he helps out other players around him. Like we've talked about Basuma looking very off the pace uh, in recent weeks. And I think Saar next to him provides a very comforting presence. I think Basuma is more comfortable, you know, dropping that shoulder and taking a dribble knowing that Sar can go chase back if he turns the ball over in a way that Hoiberg or whoever else in that spot can't do. Um, and he just makes himself available really well to like be, because he starts, you know, like Brian said, a little deeper, he's there for an outlet ball if Basuma gets into trouble. Um, and then he can start the play. Um, so I, yeah, there's just knock-on effects for everybody around him. And, you know, I think, in addition to his speed and athleticism, the speed of his play is also just a huge jump from Hoiberg, who does a lot well. And there are situations where his like calming, ponderous presence on the ball has been an asset. But in a lot of how we want to play, it's it's very detrimental to have a guy take eight extra touches, just pick his head up and figure out where he's going. Sar is very pass and move and you know, advances the ball very quickly and then gets upfield to support that pass very quickly. And uh, yeah, it's just just night and day from how we've been playing. Even Lo Celso is a little more, I think, deliberate than you would maybe mm-hmm. want to see, than Ange would like to play. And I say that fully acknowledging Lo Celso has put a lot of really good performances together for this team this year. But I mean, that's what struck me with Sar is not just how much ground he covers, but like, you know, when he recovers the ball, uh, whether that's from another West Ham player or, or jumps a passing lane, like Brian was saying, he just like he gets that thing turned around and into attack so fast, whether he's carrying the ball, whether he's finding, you know, he do, I mean, he doesn't have Hollywood passes, but, you know, if he's just like getting it to Kuliszewski or whatever, like, I mean, he just starts the attacks so quickly um, from transition in play. It's it's I, I, he's a kind of a I don't know. It's like it's it's, it's like almost like a extremely impressive workmanlike performance like it's it's but I, I didn't realize how much I missed it till we saw it in this game and I think this game maybe highlighted a little more than other games might because Newcastle is just so leggy I mean they're just absolutely they're going through an injury crisis like us and they're playing your games in Europe um, so they're having you know like they're maybe not equipped to deal with incredibly fast physical players like Sar. Um, you know, which is a real shame for them, but like, you know, I'm glad it's happening for us. So, yeah, it was yeah, really nice ab- to see him. Go ahead, Brian. 
Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, it's it's nice to have him back in like hit the way that he makes those decisions that you guys were both talking about, like the decisions how to uh you know the spring the attack the decision when to get forward when to get in the box when to drift wide like i think he just has a much better feel for that position and role than than the other guys do and and that better feel translates to just like performances like these that we saw at the beginning of the season the other uh we, we saw a couple returns both actually into the lineup and into different positions in the lineup oh so one i want to discuss is son is back on the left and i don't know about you guys but i was i was watching this match there's a part of me which is i think we need to reevaluate a lot of the things we were saying about son over the last two years and i think you know a lot of us had really considered like oh he was going to play better up the middle because he's better suited to play up the middle now um because he just doesn't have that pace and then you watch him in this game against newcastle and again it's against a pretty leggy Newcastle. It's against noted fraud Kieran Trippier. Um, but, you know, it's it was, I mean, that looked like vintage Son out there. I mean, it, he did not look like he'd lost a ton of pace. It was nice having a guy like that sort of hugging the byline again. I, I, I mean, thought it made a real difference. I mean, we talk about this every week about how deficient our wingers are at this one particular task that Andrew's system has historically relied very heavily on, and that is a winger who beats his man down the outside and then finds a ball into the middle. And so far, really nobody on this team is doing that with any consistency. And he had Trippier on skates for 90 minutes, and it was just absolutely transformative. Um, I don't know, like you said, how how much we can extrapolate from this because Trippier is coming off of you know three 90s in a week, He's 45 years old and was never quick to begin with. Uh, you know, I don't know how Sun is going to do against some of the more athletic and young uh, fullbacks in the league, but this is easily the best performance we've gotten from a wide player on Spurs this season and just made all the difference. Yeah, you think he went into this match just like, you know, in practice this week, he went to Ange and was just like, I've been dying for this. You're like, you should have seen what I used to do, this guy in training. Like, please put me on the left. Like, like bring Troy Parrott back from London and play him as a striker, because, like, you're going to love what I'm going to do to this guy for 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah I mean... It's it's wild to to see, you know, noted Atletico Madrid defender Kieran Trippier out there just flailing around. I thought I thought the thing that Simeone had done for him was made him a better and smarter defender. And you just really, really did not see that in this game. Yeah, and again, it's it's three games in a week for a, a guy who is not young and that takes its toll and Newcastle do not have the fit depth right now to make adjustments to compensate for that. And I think we definitely took advantage of it, but even ignoring all of that from a broader tactical perspective, it's just so clear how much this system that Andrews put together would thrive with guys who could do that regularly. Like having two wingers who could just bust up a fullback on the outside for 90 minutes a week is 
Like, we will be so good when we have that happening. And it was obviously helped by the fact that we had a functional striker to pair him with who, you know, could play up the middle. I mean, Richarlson looked probably more like the guy we thought we were buying than, you know, maybe he ever has in a Spurs shirt this week. I thought it was a pretty impressive performance. Obviously, I think we're grading him on a little bit of a curve. But, like, you know, I mean, two goals out of your striker in a match, that's... You know, I think you're going to take that no matter who your striker is. I thought Richarlson, again, like whatever surgery he had on his pubis was paying off dividends because he looked a lot more lively. Uh, I saw some I saw last week some Spurs fans talking about how much more agility it seemed like he had um, in the, at the at, towards the end of the West Ham match. And I'm not sure I wasn't sure how much I believed it then, but I certainly think he looked a lot more lively and active and dangerous in this match. Than he, um, than he was, uh, than he usually looks for us. It really makes you wonder if we've ever seen Richarlison healthy at this club ever, because I mean, he talked about his injury, and you know, it came out that he was saying that he'd stop shooting in training because it hurts so bad. And it's just like I don't know why we, why athletes do this to themselves. I kind of get, but why we as a club allow that to happen? You know, we saw Son last year go through a similar thing where he was just clearly unwell. He was, you know, he finally got surgery and now this season he looks like a new man. And then when he talked about it, he's like, yeah, I couldn't like turn on the ball because it hurt my groin so much. And it was like, well then fucking stop playing and like get that fixed for the love of God. You're not doing anybody any favors by just going out there for the team and playing badly. And it sounds like Richarlison has been carrying this since he's joined us and he's been, you know, last year was a series of injuries and, you know, not a consistent run on the team. And, you know, the fact that it only took him like a month to get yeah. back to this is just like, fuck, like, why didn't we do that sooner? Um, like, yeah, take I a hope- month off, buddy. Like, especially it seems like you really needed some time off anyway. I mean, I understand re- rehabbing a surgery is not like going to the beach, but still like. Yeah, you don't go under the knife lightly, certainly. But like you don't play through injury. You shouldn't play through injury lately either. And well, there's playing through injury and there's, I can't shoot in warmups because it hurts so much. And it's like September. Like, Right. And yeah, I mean, I hope this is like a sign of things to come and not just, you know, a flash in the pan that we'll remember fondly. But if this is real, that, that makes us a lot better. It makes me feel a lot better about, you know, the options available to us. Well, there is uh, there was some discussion in the post game that I thought was really interesting, where Ange sort of I can't remember if it was the post game or in the midweek, but Ange seemed to allude to the fact that when he stuck with Charleston on the left early in the year, that was not as much a tactical decision as we thought. It had a little bit to do with like he had less pain when he played over there. Um, and, I mean, and that certainly like colors some decisions we've made this year in a different light, but it's. I don't know. What what did you think of Richarlison's performance just in gen- like not taking into account all the things that we need to take into account, but just like purely on like the however many minutes he played, like what did you think of him as a striker in this match? I, I think he was exactly what you want out of a striker in this system, you know, and strikers are not guys who are hugely involved in build up, not doing a lot in any phase of play other than getting behind and, and getting on the end of chances in the box. And, 
you know, he had six shots in the box, oh, five shots in the box, one shot at the top of the box. You know, he was there doing that thing. Um, and, you know, it was, and, you know, he got his first goal with his feet for the club and then followed it up with his second goal with his feet for the club. Like, I think that is all you want from a striker. And well, and then, and that's not even accounting for, you know, I thought his defensive work rate was impressive, you know, for a guy just off of surgery. Uh, now, again, we're, we're not to bring fact, uh, you know, mitigating factors into it. But I thought, you know, that's part of what Richarlson does give you. Yeah, I thought that's interesting how we use his athleticism to cover for Sun a little bit more. Like on the wing, Sun is, you know, nominally more tasked with tracking back than your striker. And it seemed like Richarlison was the guy who was doing that covering so that Sun didn't have to, so Sun could stay high as an outlet and, you know, not run his legs into the ground. And yeah, the, the fitness to do that coming off of surgery and not very long rehabbing is, is very impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought he, you know, he used his physicality well. He timed his runs really well. I mean, both of those goals were really great. I mean, great spots from, you know, whoever found him, but really great runs into space. Well, even the, like the, the Pedro Poro pass in, into the box for him, which he didn't control very well, you know, I mean, that was a great finishing move and like, you know, at no point during his time at Spurs would I ever have thought Richarlson was capable of, you know, recovering that sort of sloppy first touch and <laughs> yeah. turning it into a goal. Yeah, as soon as he miscontrolled that, it was like, oh, you fucking donkey. <laughs> yeah. But no, he he pulled it out. And I thought, you know, the run to get on the end of Sun's cutback for the other goal, again, just smart, sharp, like what you want, like a predatory in-the-box striker. And I mean, he's going to get those sorts of chances in this system, right? And before, if you told, if you'd been told, you know, oh, he's going to get a shot through traffic, you know, 10 yards away from goal, you'd be like, he's going to sky it or blast it uh, wide of goal. Like, all he's got to do is put those on target. And like, you know, he managed a few good shots, uh, uh, you know, and the goals were really. Oh. <laughs> I think we lost Brian, but yeah, yeah. I think we lost really, Brian. Really well taken and good for Richie. Yeah, it's nice to it's nice to have him back, and it's nice to think that he's going to be like sort of a a plus player as opposed to you know just some guy that you know maybe he'll chip in with a header every now and then. It you know he's not just a sunk cost. It's it's it would be nice to see that happen. Yeah, and I think you know we're still even though we've got some guys back in the midst of a heavy injury crisis, Los Celso's done well, but he's another guy who's had a very long injury history and whose fitness maybe needs to be managed. You know, it was looking like we were down to a very, very slim pickings for that front four. You know, Brian Heal has done nothing to convince yet. And all of a sudden, the one thing. <laughs> all, all of a sudden, having Richarlison as another viable body in that attack is just like makes you feel like we can get through the next couple weeks, couple months until you know Madison's back, until uh, maybe Los Celso gains a little bit more fitness. 
until Jamie Donnelly becomes, you know, the next big thing for Spurs. But you know, so we sign whatever Juventus cast off is going to save our season. Yeah. But yeah, it feels like we're not as threadbare anymore. If again, if if this is a thing we can we can count on. Brian, do you have any final Richarlson thoughts uh, before we move on now that you're back and your Skype seems to be working <laughs> for the moment? Yeah, for the moment. Uh, no, I, I, I just think it it's great for him. He's had a couple of goals since he came back from surgery. Or, well, he said a few goals now since he came back from surgery. Um, it feels like this could be, you know, him turning the corner and being a useful part of, of the system and useful in the sense that he's not just a backup. Um, but, uh, you know, he's just got to keep doing it. And, you know, this was, this was a great striker performance, what you want to see out of a number nine in this system, but it just has to keep happening basically. So I want to stay along the front forward line for a moment, um, or close to it, at least, uh, we saw more Kulishevsky in midfield this week. Uh, I, I, Brian, how are you feeling about it? Like, it's looking like this is more than just a purely emergency measure. Um, do you think, I mean, would you rather see him there out on the right? How are you feeling about it? Uh, I actually really like it. Um, I think the first time we saw it, I was on his performance. Um, but pretty much ever since then, he's looked much more comfortable in the role. Um <laughs> well we lost brian again yeah uh but yeah i would agree i think you know the first couple of times he played in that position he ended up switching back to the wing in the second half and probably looked better in his you know normal right wing position this is the first time that he looked just exceptional in this new role um and you know i do think some of that had to do with the way son and udagi played around him um, I thought he really thrived off of, you know, their support and the runs Sun was making and the way Udagi came up the middle. <clears throat> I thought it gave him a lot of options and, you know, he had a lot of really nice interchanges with Sonny in particular. Um, but, yeah, he had a, just a, a, a brilliant performance in a way that, you know, almost makes you not miss James Madison for the game. I think the thing I like about him in the 10 – if that's what we're going to call it, which I guess is fair enough. Um, if Madison's not in there, like I, what I like about him is that he really interchanges and interacts with other players in a way that I don't think any of the other guys do quite as well as, I mean, Madison, I think is great at it and offers you a lot of other things, but like, I think Kulishevsky's really good at that sort of like, he's played good at playing one twos. He's good at running off the ball. He's good at making space. It's just his interaction with his teammates, I think is really like that's the thing I think he carries from his role on the right into the center of the pitch in a way that I think is really impressive. And I think really useful. I'm not entirely sold on that being his, like that's where we should be putting him in a more or less fit spurs. But like I'm becoming more and more convinced this is like a realistic rotational option that we should be utilizing. I mean, Oh, I think when Madison's fit, it's a no brainer that that's Madison's job. Yeah. 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 Until then, I don't. I think it's a fair fight between him and Lo Celso, uh, you know, who who gets the job. And I think, you know, his his wide man instincts 
also served him well because he would he would peel out into pockets on the left side of the pitch. You know, again, like Udagi would come in and shore up the center a little bit, and Sun would make those runs like high up the left, and Udagi or and Kulishevsky found himself in this like real pocket of space on the left hand side a lot of time where he was like coming in and playing these early looping deliveries into the box that were consistently very effective. Um, and, you know, just approaching that number 10 spot kind of, you know, Erickson like in the way that like when he was playing as like a wide creator, um, the way he would feed balls in from, from outside. Um, in addition to all the, like, the interchangey things that you were talking about, um, it was just a really varied uh, role, the way he played it, and I thought it made our attack a lot more dynamic than it often is. Brian's and, back, so we're going to see what he has to say about Gulashevsky. Brian, get it in quick. As few words as possible. <sighs> I, need to go, I need to go back skiing. That's the only way that I can handle this. Um, what what was the question you asked me? Just Kulishevsky. It's great. It's great. I'm really enjoying it. He should keep doing it. <laughs> like Ben said, it's Madison's job, but uh, Kulishevsky has been really great. I like the way he combines. I think he's figured out how to play with uh, Sun and Johnson on either side of him. I think his interplay with Udogi has been good. Um, I like it. Ben, where where's the pendulum on um on Brennan Johnson this week? You know, another classic Brennan Johnson performance. Not super involved, but when he was involved, he created some good chances. He took some good shots. Still nothing on the score sheet. And, you know, we've been waiting a while since his last goal. We hit the post twice this week, right? Like, Oh, is the post is the post a goal? Are we counting those goals oh, now? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, no, I just didn't realize that they changed the rules. No, 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 no. No, okay. another not even a shot on target technically. <laughs> I feel like at a minimum hitting hitting the crossbar of the post should count as a shot on target, but I guess technically it is not that, so fair enough. But is yeah. the target the post? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, the things that he is doing are effective and you know, I one of the things that I I don't remember if I talked about this on the pod or just talked about it in, in Slack with us is that I felt like we were having a really hard time carrying him in on the left where he was so uninvolved and also son was particularly uninvolved at striker lately. And we didn't have a, you know, a really effective midfield situation worked out. So there was just like, there was just not a lot up there who are creating value on the ball. Um, and this week, that was not the case. I mean, Sun was electric on the wing. Richarlison was getting shots off like nobody's business. Saar and Kulishevsky in midfield were, like, very dynamic and creative. Poro was all up in their business, you know, slinging shit around. It, it allows us to carry a guy like Johnson who's not on the ball because everybody else was suddenly doing so much more than we'd seen lately. And so when you just have this fast guy, you know, picking up the ball in the final third, it's, that's just a good extra tool to have in your attack. It's not limiting your ability to create chances in the first place. And I thought this is like, you can kind of see the utility of a guy like that when everything else is humming around it. 
that's that's a, a useful guy. And I, I don't know, I'm I'm increasingly convinced that we're not going to get the more complete version of him that I think I, I, I hoped might be coached into him. But I do think we're going to get the one-dimensional version of him that's just very good at that dimension in a team that is very good, and so it all works. Brian? He's fast, though. Isn't that cool? (laughs) It is pretty cool, especially against the Newcastle team that is very exhausted from their, you know, weeks of bone sawing. Yeah, I I mean, look, I, I... I still think he was um, an overpay, um, but it seems like you have to overpay for all players now. You're not there's not a lot of deals floating around out there, uh, especially for young attacking players. Um, and I don't know. I I I haven't lost faith that there can be some coaching and some you know improvement in his you know off the ball or or non shot producing in involvement. Uh, but I, I just, he does that role so differently than, than what Kulisevsky, how Kulisevsky interprets that role, how some of the other guys we've played out there have interpreted that role. Like he's more kind of, you know, rotation for son, but he keeps getting thrown out there at the same time as son and I don't I, I don't have a clear understanding of how them together out there is really supposed to work other than that. Kick it and let them run after it. I mean, I think Ben hit on some of it, but I, in terms of like we've had a very destabilized squad as Brennan Johnson really started coming in and getting starts. And that's part of the reason I think he started getting starts. But, um, you know, I think it's also worth remembering, like, this guy came off an injury, he's new to the team, um, he's new to the coach, and, you know, he's trying to find his way in this squad that is maybe not always suited to um, maximize his strengths. And, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that he has such a good game playing on the right. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, he was on his natural side of the pitch, which he really hasn't been for most of his time um, as a starter at Spurs. But I also think Ben hit on something. I'm not nearly as down on him as some of you guys have been and some of our friends have been, but... I feel like I sound really positive. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I mean, historically, not right now. Um, what I, But what I do think is, what I think you hit on there, Ben, is like, yeah, I don't think they're going to coach into him like a guy who's like great off the ball and, you know, mo- like progresses stuff around the pitch all the time. Like, I, but I do think there's going to be like a very good version of what he is, which might not be someone who starts every match, but is an incredibly dangerous player. I mean, we're already seeing it. Like, I'd say the last two or three matches, like, yeah, you'd like someone who's a little more involved in the whole match, but he's also creating a lot of sort of dangerous opportunities or dangerous moments. And, Yes, going forward, at some point, he's going to have to be a little more clinical with his chances if this is who he is. But I think for a player as young as he is, for a team that is sort of still finding its feet, I think there is a lot to dream on here. And there's a lot of stuff that I think you could find very promising, even if he's maybe not the complete player you'd like him to be. For sure. And, you know, I I said this when we signed him and I probably said it since, but like the thing at Nottingham Forest that he was really exceptional at doing is when he got the ball in the space, he could 
burst forward and play that square ball into the box or get a shot off. And he takes a reasonable number of shots and he creates a reasonable number of chances with that one trick. And he's just much more effective at doing that, playing down the right than he is on the left. It's easier to square that ball in when you're right footed on the right side than it is when you're right footed on the left side. And so, you know, we, I mean, he created what, like three or four chances in this game and took a couple shots. Like that's, what you want him to do. And if he can do that every game, he's going to score goals and get assists. And that's what we need. We, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago that we just don't seem to have enough guys putting points on the board, getting goals and contributing assists. And if he's now in a position where he can do that, that'll be a huge asset. And I'm probably being a little bit of a Pollyanna, but I would say the last few weeks, like, He's been dangerous enough. Like, I feel like he's been, I mean, you might be able to say this about a lot of players on our team, but like, I feel like he's been creating, like, he's a little unlucky that he hasn't had a few more assists or goals the last few weeks. Like, I think he's been fairly dangerous um, lately. I certainly think he was pretty dangerous in this match. I mean, it's not turning into goals yet, or at least largely not yet. Um, but it's, I don't know. I could see it there. And I, and I could see him improving in a way that's really like encouraging, like, you know, like, I, I don't know. Ange seems to really be getting more out of some of these guys or developing them in a way that, you know, certainly our last two managers were just not interested in. Yeah. Especially when you think of, I don't know, perhaps podcast favorite Pedro Poro. Oh, you mean the best uh, right back in world football? Yeah. The rest, best right back in the league. Two. No. Uh no, he's great. Uh he both the fullbacks were great in this game. Um uh, you know, I we talked a little bit about it when we talked about SAR, but just when Pedro Porter is freed up to have less responsibilities, start it further forward, it it just works out so much better for us. He's another passer. Um, who's basically playing in the front line at, at a lot of points. Like, he's finding through balls. He's picking out crosses. Like, And, and with Johnson there to occupy, uh, you know, the, the fullback because they have to be concerned about him running in behind, he gets even more space to kind of do his thing. And it, he was just so good. His ability to hit, like, like that pass he hit for Richarlson's goal, his second goal was so good. I mean, he found Richarlson in so much space from so deep. It, God, he's incredible. Like, it's like what if Kieran Trippier just had like very few of his downsides? I mean, he's 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 obviously a little suspect as sort of a man-on-man defender, but like, man, he's so good, and he's taken and he's gotten so much better at his. His defense this year, it's like I don't think he's nearly the liability that we everyone thought he was going to be uh, when we signed him. Like he's, you know, he's, he's not well. Yeah, like he's not never going to be like the best defender you'll ever see, but he brings so much to the field or to to the pitch, you know, as as an attacker that what he does do as a defender is more than adequate. Yeah, I, I thought. I mean, it was a whole comprehensive performance once again from Poro. He was not a problem in possession, was a plus defender and a hugely plus attacker. I, I don't know what else you can, you can ask for out of a fullback. I mean, 
between him and Udagi right now, that is like peak Kyle Walker, Danny Rose era Spurs fullbacks that we somehow found ourselves with. But what's crazy is because, like, you know, those guys, I think there's a way before the season started, you could talk yourselves into them being like Danny Rose and Kyle Walker style fullbacks for Spurs. They're going to get better at defending. They're going to sort of boat race guys down the left and right of the pitch. And, you know, they're going to be putting dangerous balls in and whatever. And Poro, you know, hit some free kicks or some nice passes. But, you know, they're like their physicality is, I think, what you thought would really set them apart. And while that's impressive and useful, like, really, they've just been, like, they've been very tactically aware. They've been very good defenders. They they know how to drop in and out of midfield. I mean, it's, you know, like, it's, like they're very sophisticated defenders in a very sophisticated system. And they've both taken to it very quickly. And, you know, they're both, they were both kind of pure continental wingbacks with suspect defending that was sort of the the book on both of those guys when they came in, and they both adjusted to it so quickly. I think it's really a credit to Postacago and them. Yeah, I mean, look, we got we got a goal out of a doggy uh, assist and a penalty assist out of Poro. Like, what what else do you want? Like again, these guys just were immaculate. And, and I mean, I, seriously, like if you're a Spurs fan. <laughs> I, I, like the, the the number of players you could upgrade on those guys at this moment in time, at least is so small. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's really, really great to go from the shit show we had at fullback the last like year and a half or whatever to like what we've got now. It's great. Yeah. And <laughs> I think you, you touched on it a little bit there when you said, you know, they were kind of classic continental wingbacks, you know, not only are they going from playing wingback to fullback, they're now inverted fullbacks as well. Like, you know, these were guys that were beating a man down the outside and putting in crosses. And, you know, Udogi cut in a little bit um, for uh, Udinese. But, like, they're now basically playing as midfielders. And, you know, they're both operating, for some reason, higher up the pitch than they were when they were wingbacks. And... It's going great. I mean, for Udagi to even be in the position where that ball falls to him for that first goal is is nuts. That it, you know, at any other point in time in our Spurs career, if our fullback had popped up there and scored that goal, we'd be like, yes, that was awesome. Why is he there? You know, and and this now is like, but yeah, that's where he's supposed to be. He's supposed it's not the to first be time this year he's been in that area, you know, as a ball comes in the box. Like, I mean, I think he was it against City that he skied one from a little bit just a slightly further back. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, he, and he was basically the number nine in that move. Like, it was, <laughs> it was wild. Yeah, just Don Fabio was cooking all along. We weren't giving him the respect he was due. Yeah, someday he'll be he'll have a statue outside the stadium right beside yeah, Harry along Kane's. with with our statue that we'll get for finding Peter Foro in Lisbon. That's right. <laughs> it is really cool that we like it, like I feel like we saw him and we're very like oh this guy seems good we should sign him like before it actually became a rumor and then it happened and now now he's becoming like a complete fullback and it's just like it's it's wonderful to see i feel i feel such ownership i'm so proud of him i'm like i'm like i'm like the adoptive parents in the blind side he's gonna sue me in several years it's gonna be really touching and heartwarming yeah and i mean it's just really cool that uh a guy who played for such a small club 
uh, like, you know, sporting and also previously Manchester City. Um, well, like the, not really Manchester City. Yeah. yeah. You know, but uh, but the, it was really us that discovered him and not anybody else ever. <laughs> not every other Spurs fan who watched him play against us in the Champions League twice that year. But yeah, it was us. Yeah, it was us. I'm glad we're all in agreement. I'm, I'm, me too. Me too. Um, uh, again, I, I think this is the second podcast in a row, maybe not second match in a row, because we're not going to talk about West Ham. But um, Ben Davies, another really good performance in the back line. We complimented him on our last podcast. I think it's worth complimenting him again. I mean, maybe the best defensive move of the whole match when he sort of stopped that that, that uh, clean shot from going in. I mean, just... I, you know, didn't think he could do it. Thought he would be behind Dyer on the on the depth chart, but he's really, I mean, you know, he's really doing a good job uh, for a guy who I thought would have been sent to the glue factory by now. Yeah, yeah I, go ahead, Brian. I mean, it's nice to I'm, have you around. So take, yeah, take yeah. While you got it. No, thanks. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, you know, that that ball gets played over the top um, for for that move where he makes the block, and my initial thought was like. God, I wish we had Van de Ven because watching everybody else try to get back for that is like watching slow motion and and he gets there in the end. And, you know, it's a, a credit to him that he, you know, has that athleticism still to to get back and do that. And, you know, his positioning has been so good um, the last few games. And, you know, he's. He's been totally serviceable as a as a backup left center back, which is literally say, that's his job, that's his role, and he's fine, and that's great. Yeah, I was gonna say the exact same thing. I couldn't believe he had the legs to do that and make that play. Obviously, it was like in the first few minutes, so he hadn't ran himself into the ground yet. But uh, yeah, good for him. I couldn't help but think like how many games that we had like that if like that Newcastle had where they create this unbelievable chance in like the opening minutes and it's somehow against all got all odds doesn't fall for us and then the whole thing falls apart from there like I couldn't help but feel a little sympathetic to Newcastle because I've seen us have this game um but yeah. Also, fuck Newcastle. I know we've talked. I was about, about to say, are you going to tell us about how great Saudi Arabia is to visit now? <laughs> no. You know, uh, we, we got really fixated on the players really quickly, which is great because like so many guys have good performances. But I feel like just to zoom out real quick, like we beat the ever-loving shit out of a Newcastle team who has been very good this season and is injuries aside, like. Those are not really like of their first team. There's only like three guys really missing. It's not like, you know, they're like Spurs were three weeks ago. Um, the normal level of injuries. And we hung not only four goals, but like four expected goals. Like it was a fully deserved battering. It wasn't like we just took our chances. We put them to the sword. And I have been crying out for us to beat the shit out of a team for so long. And I am just. So glad we finally got to see it against a very good team and not just like, you know, piling it on against Luton, which would also be fun. But like this was very fun. And do you, do you think it was just a combination of the players who were back? I mean, I, I, I think if you asked me to diagnose, we talked about it a little bit early in the podcast, but if I had to diagnose one thing, I would say it's I mean, 
I mean, I would say it's either Saar being back and being able to run around in midfield like that or just having a functional striker. Like, that's, like, let, you know, like, a guy who could really do all that work up there. So it lets you push Sean out to the left, and it lets lets you sort of, you know, it just lets you do all these other things. But I don't know. It, it was – that's a great point. It was comprehensive in a way that we have, you know, like, we've been great except for creating chances for a lot of the season. And this was not one of those matches. Yeah, I mean, look, we have been such a mash unit – cobbled together side for a while and this is very close to approaching our full first team besides madison and vandevin that's our team that was out there you know like and davis did a very credible job and kulashevsky excelled in the madison role and you know it's it's nice that we're able to like we know that our first team can do something like this. We've we've known that all season, and it has just been so frustrating watching our you know B squad have to fill the gaps and us kind of falling short in a lot of areas. And you know this kind of shows that we're not necessarily as thin as we feared, um, and that you know we can weather a normal level of absences and still be very good. We just couldn't weather the catastrophic level of absences that we've had. Um, and I think knock on wood, you know, it's pretty unlikely we're going to have like 11 guys out again at the same time, you know, going forward. So like Africa cup of nations in the Asian cup. Got something yeah. To you're say right. about we're going to have to have it one more time. And it's going to be horrible, <laughs> but you know, like, yeah, we're a good fucking team. But, Brian, like, you look at the stretch of matches, and I think we're all agreed that, with the exception of maybe the Wolves game and just maybe the end of the West Ham game, like, you know, we're pretty happy with how we played during this injury crisis. We're still, you know, but, we, you know, we only took one point out of a potential 14 or whatever, something like that, you know, and we're fifth. Like, at the end of that, I mean, if you told me just results-wise this is what's going to happen over that period, like, Christ, I'd be happy to be in the top ten. But, you know, how do you feel like we're set up sort of looking down the rest of the season, you know? Obviously, we're going to have a rough January, but fortunately, we only play a few matches in that month. Yeah, I, I think I think we're set up kind of exactly where I had hoped we would be. Um, you know, I think... The, the goal for this season was always, uh, you know, this is a project. This is a rebuild. And, you know, I know so many people wanted to move the goalposts on us when we started the season as hot as we did. Um, but, you know, this is still a, a, a new thing. The Pasacoglu is still working out what players can do what, when they can do it. Um, we're trying to still build the squad in a way that makes sense. Like, you know just getting into position where we're potentially going to be playing in Europe, where we have the possibility of getting into the champions league right now. Like that's, that's a great setup for us down the road. Cause you know what, maybe, maybe in the spring we don't deal with a lot of injuries and maybe we return to how we started this season and we run off a bunch of victories. And, you know, I think kind of everybody at the top has been, hasn't been very consistent this year and, you know, we were pretty consistent that that first month and a half, two months of the season where we um, had all the guys playing all the time. And so, 
we get back to that playing that way, you know, there's no reason why top four isn't going to happen. I think like looking at our record and our table position, if this had happened a little more organically, you know, a couple wins, a loss here, a few more wins, a draw, a loss over the course of the season, this would be kind of about the progression, maybe even a little better than we had expected going into the season. It's just the fact that it was so feast and famine that it's been, you know, very emotional whiplash trying to process how good are we, where where is the development of this this squad under Ange actually at um, in our kind of like long arc towards our title win next season, you know, next season, next year. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're going to win seven season, out of first. Right, <laughs> like, it is all, like, we're trending, you know, over the last game, we're 100%. If you extrapolate extrapolate that over the next 22 games, you know, that's another 66 points. That's a, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, I'm, I misspoke. Um, but... <clears throat> I remember what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> it all feels good. And it all feels like we're kind of, this win helps feel like everything's a little bit more normal. You know, we might lose again this year. I won't, I won't rule that out. But, you know, if we don't, it also wouldn't be that surprising. But it was, I think it was nice not just to, I mean, it was, I, I got very frustrated after the West Ham match. Not because, like, I thought we played particularly poorly. It was just like, I was getting real fucking tired of moral victories. Um, but it was nice to not just have a win, not just have a win against a team like Newcastle, who we're sort of competing with, but to have such an emphatic win. I mean, even accounting for how ex- exhausted Newcastle is, like, it was just such a comprehensive, you know, like you said, Ben, it was like, we've been waiting for just like a complete dominant performance like this all year. And it was just, it was so satisfying to see. And, you know, that was, that, that was really Nice. Uh, one thing I, I, I don't want to let pass without comment, because um, I think this gets a little underrated. I think we all kind of like loathe Newcastle for sort of what they represent and their ownership and all that. And that's you know, more than deserved. Like, it's pretty reprehensible and pretty disgusting. But like, what a bunch of fucking assholes are on this team. I really like it struck me how unlikable this team is between like, you know, Callum Wilson's like hypocrisy or like obnoxiousness or whatever you want to call it. You know, Jolington being such a dirty player, and then like Almiron just like rolling around on the ground at the slightest contact, just like I don't know, like, and then Kieran Trippier's face, like, you know, it's just like a lot of things to dislike about this Newcastle team that really struck me in the course of what was a fairly comfortable match for Spurs. It really hit me how much I just like do not like that group of players on top of you know what repugnant ownership they have. I mean, Ben, before I respond, do you want to defend your boy, Miguel Almiron? Yeah, Atlanta United uh, alumni. Yeah, legend. Uh, no, I mean, look, I love Miggy. He's my boy. But that was pretty pathetic. So, <laughs> I'm, uh, didn't he, didn't he go down like he got shot when he got, like, someone threw a glove at him or something during an MLS game? Like... That sounds like a thing that happened. I, mean, I don't think I make. I'm not making that up. I don't think. Like, no, I, I don't. There could, have been, my, my... there could have been bullets in that glove. You don't know. <laughs> it might have been loaded. It could have been. Could have. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I can't stand them, and 
you know, uh, just like you said, Joe Linton, I think LaSalle's is the same way. Um, you know, I think Gimoresh is underratedly dirty um, in the same way that a lot of, you know, yes. the, his his compatriots in the Brazil midfield are. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I don't like playing them. Um, I like beating them. Uh, but uh, I, it feels like this result was kind of a turnaround from some of the results we've had against them lately. Um, and, a little and just, bit. Yeah. Teeny little bit. Just a little bit. I don't know. And uh, it, it, it felt good because, you know, you, you don't want them to start thinking that they're on our level, regardless of what the table may have said last year. Um, but, like, you, you have to remind them that, no, we're still we're still better than you. Callum Wilson's awfully mouthy for a guy who, like, I don't know, I feel like he's very lucky not to be in a relegate, not to be on a team in a relegation battle. Like, I don't understand how that man talks as much as he does. Like, he's he's not good. I mean, I, I, he is good. I think, I, and I don't mind, honestly, the fact that, like, he and Antonio have their podcast where they talk shit about people. I think it's very colorful. I think it's a very transparent look that we don't often get but like that said if that's gonna be your fucking brand you don't get to go out there and be like he made a face at me (laughs) this disrespectful like come on man like you of all people need to shut the fuck up Especially when you have like famously slandered that guy's like teammate like like, I'm sure two goals in your face yeah I'm sure all the Spurs players were like you know had an eye out for him all match. So I mean, I think they did. You can, if you rewatch it, like I think they were clearly trying to back Richarlson up in this match. And like you said, Richarlson fucking scored two goals on him. So you know, maybe you should get a yellow card for that. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. Newcastle fucking sucks. They're they're a repugnant club, and uh, now uh, a repugnant club. And uh, I really didn't don't like that collection of players. And it didn't really strike me till you know I was watching the full ninety. I mean, that's how it goes, right? You play against a team and you're like, oh, I despise every <laughs> one of these yes. moral reprobates. How dare they grace the same field as an angel like Christian Romero? <laughs> it is kind of amazing that if you think about it, like I, like Newcastle doesn't really have like a Jordan Henderson type player. Like there's not somebody out there just like carrying water for the project. I guess Trippier is as close as you get. But, like, he's not out there, like, you know, debasing himself for, like, the club in the way that, like, you know, Henderson is. And, like, I guess I guess I'm just, like, now that I'm just sort of thinking about it, I'm kind of surprised there's not somebody out there, like, you know, constantly talking about, like, you know, what a great place Saudi Arabia is or whatever. Yeah, all right. All right. I don't, I don't know what. I'm sorry for the no sell, but I don't know what you you. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I'm waiting for you guys to like volunteer like a a player with like low enough moral fiber that would sort of take this challenge up. But we can yeah. move on. Um, let's do some questions from our audience. Um, would you? Uh, this comes from two twenty two hundred fifteen pound Rob on uh, Twitter. He wants to know: Would you compare Callum Wilson's game to Richarlison's game at all? I mean. I wouldn't because one of them scored goals in this match and the other didn't. But yeah, I mean, you know, 
Callum Wilson's like, you know, a gamb- uh, an Ivan Tony gambling ban away from just like not being relevant. Like if Tony <laughs> is allowed to play, he Wilson's not in the England squad conversation. He's just another guy. Um, so he should just be thankful that people care about him at all. Michael, I mean, no. Oh, Ben, do you have any? Do you have any more thoughts on Callum Wilson, or are we exhausted this particular I, vein? Look, I think Callum Wilson's good. He's got seven goals in 500 minutes this season. He is a very effective Premier League striker. He's a very good counterattacking, speedy guy. Like he's good. I know. I'm not going to shade his game just because he's a piece of shit. I no, there's no room for niceties when you're a dick. So you just <laughs> well, then, then then the Spurs squad is in for some problems. So, um, Michael Noen wants to know uh, where does the Udogi uh, Poro partnership rank in the Premier League in terms of best back, best fullbacks? Well, it's the best left back in the league and the best right back in the league. So you do the fucking math. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, genuinely, can you think though, of a I that's any better. No. Uh, I mean, you got Liverpool if Robertson's fit. That's probably up there. Are you Whatever counting Trent as a fullback in this in this uh, equation? Or I mean, he's as much as a fullback as our fullbacks are. Yeah, like, well, I mean, Pedro Porro is better defender than Trent. Like, well, that's true. He's just a more present defender than Trent. <laughs> Trent couldn't I be mean, asked. in that he tries to defend. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't know what you call Man City's whole setup, but they nominally have fullbacks out there, and, you know, Guardiola and Walker are very good. Um, but it's a short list of, of comparable players. Certainly not Kieran Trippier. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, I, I thought it was really heartwarming, because, like, I feel like between him being sort of out of sight, out of mind at Atletico and... You know, just getting a lot of plaudits for his time at Newcastle. I'm like, boy, were we really wrong about him? Like, why are we so mad about him all the time? And this game was just a reminder of, like, and again, it's not fair because there is a lot that Kieran Trapier does that's good. I think we have seen that, over the, especially since he came back to the Premier League. But, like, this why game was a— both re- being so nice to the enemy? I think we just— did the bit about this though. yeah but uh, but I, what i'm saying it's, is this game like, was a reminder of everything that drove us out of our fucking minds when he was on our team it's the it's the like damning with faint praise thing that like pep and jose do like you're you're allowed to be nice to the team that you just embarrassed it's the team that's like actually worth Got your it. time that you're mad about it's it, they're they're beneath criticism yes gotcha i i didn't know that you guys were doing chess not checkers i got it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep up, Ryan. Come on. That's what you missed. Yeah, yeah, my bad, my bad. Go my off bad. Skype for a while, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, William Henry Morris on Blue Sky wants to know uh, what relaxing hobby should Romero take up to take the edge off his anger. Um, my uh. <laughs> yeah, Brian, you're well suited to answer this actually. Well, what I was actually going to say is my my wife, who is a, a kickboxing trainer. And um, will hit you for no particular reason at any given moment. Or or me, anyway. I don't know about you guys. Greg, probably. Um, <laughs> We've established that. Greg is going to yeah. get punched. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's taken up knitting uh, recently. And um, I, I found that that makes her much calmer. Although it does 
increase the amount of time she's in close proximity to a weapon that could conceivably kill me. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to put a sharp object in Romero's hand. The problem is knitting occupies your hands with a calming activity. There's nothing for your feet to keep you from, like, just ninja kicking somebody in the knee. Right, so he needs to take up, like, knitting with his feet, is what you're saying. Feet knitting. Yeah, feet knitting. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he should start vaping, like, CBD oils or something. I don't know. But, like, looking at the way that pro footballers dress, he almost assuredly is vaping already. So that clearly isn't working. Um, I I have no idea. Like, like meditation. Like I feel like it's got to be something weird, like death metal. He used to start going to death metal concerts, and that'll I mean, help. There's lots of other, like, activities that could be, like, calming or relaxing, but he also does live in London. So, like, there's not a lot of places to go, like, lay at the beach or go stand up paddleboarding or, you know, anything else chill. Like, you're just, it's cold there, it's raining, stay inside and, like, play cozy video games, I guess. Get really into Stardew Valley or something like that. <laughs> Maybe you should take a leaf out of uh, George Bush's book and start just painting the victims of his war crimes. Sort of. <laughs> so are these like are these like really happy pictures of them or is it like just viscera? Like, <laughs> you know, whatever it? style works for him. Uh, we have another question from. We always love to get questions from first-time listeners. Uh, this comes from Reno Wallabout. He wants to know uh, who is the player of the season and why is it Pedro Porro? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean Pedro Porro has been great for the team and a total surprise. Uh, you know, other than us scouts who poured over his footage and watched him in person so often, I think it's really surprising he's able to do what he's been able to do. Um, you know, if I was really thinking about player of the season he might actually stand a chance because guys like madison have missed a lot of time sars missed a lot of time um i I got i guess maybe basuma might edge him out for it but he's had a couple bad weeks so i don't know i mean i'd say vicario's in there i'd say you doggies in there um but yeah i think in terms of just the consistent level of performance and the types of things he's doing to contribute to the team's success. Um, I think he'd, he'd probably be the favorite. Yeah. I mean, son is obviously, I think a good candidate and despite, and because of the time he's missed, I think James Madison remains fairly undeniable. Like it's hard to give people credit for player of the season and, you know, five games we didn't win. So I'd still I'd still include Madison. Fair enough. And he could easily win it by the end of the season because um, he's been very good. Um, Captain Honey Badger wants to know, with Richarlson and his brand new pubis, is Son back on the left after the last performance, or do he and Richie switch depending on the opponent play style? I think we haven't seen anything yet to indicate to us that this should be like a fixed situation. And I think Ange and the way he's kind of managed this run of fixtures um, show you that he's going to make adaptations based on opponents, based on performances, that sort of thing. Um, So I I think we're going to continue to see Richarlison. I just don't I don't think there's going to be any set 
way that they play, um, especially because he's been good now in in both the roles, and Sun has been good in both roles. I would be very shocked if we didn't run it back against Forrest, at least, because it worked. Why change? Um, but if it doesn't, you know Ange will be quick to shuffle things around again. Um, we can see it. You know, I'm also a little curious. This is not the question, but to see if we can bring Los Celso back, Kulishevsky on the right and Son on the left, and drop Johnson. Not because of my Brennan Johnson agenda, just because we have another guy who's been good in that role, and maybe that's a front four that might be effective. Um, well, especially against a team where, you know, for all the, you know, for all of how tired Newcastle was, they did try to play us a little bit, and... You know, I think we might need someone who can pick a lock a little bit more, especially against a team like Forrest. So, but right. I, I think I would lean towards this is the new normal. Um, but like Ben said, like you know, Ange is clearly willing to move on and try different shit. So, not necessarily, but if I had to guess, I'd say this is the new normal. I think it looked really effective uh, as long as everyone's fit. I see no reason not to do it, and it is honestly, I think it's. Like Sun looked really good in this system. I'd like to, I'd like to see it more against different teams. Like maybe a team that's a little with a little more legs in them, just to see how it works. Because um, I think we were all sort of trending towards the opinion a few weeks ago, or this just this year that Sun was done on the left, at least as a regular um, ongoing option. But I think it's worth remembering, and you saw it a little bit again today in those first few matches of the year when we were playing Richarlson up the middle. Richarlson wasn't as good, but Sun was doing a lot of interchange and passing and getting involved in play as opposed to just like cutting in that we really hadn't seen a lot of from him before. So I'd like to see, I'm very curious and I'd like to see more of this. Um, and I think we probably will, you know, um, everybody's sort of health notwithstanding. Um, but yeah, um, I think that's where we're going to leave it for this week. Um, yeah. So, uh, Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. Brian, where can people find you online? You can find me on X at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, Skipjack0079. You can find me on Blue Sky, just plain old Skipjack. Um, and don't forget to find our podcast on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheelie Dealer Radio. Thank you guys very much uh, for Ben, for Brian, and, of course, for Brett Rainbow. I have been your host, Greg. Uh, come on, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch.